The Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 66. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Taharish, to Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tabul and Javan, to the coastlands afar off, that they have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring forth all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromarderies. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the word, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten that the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are all left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it, is, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with his tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in the festal, festal gathering, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Gospel reading today, a question is posed of Jesus. Will those who are saved be few? And just look where Jesus takes this person. The question is about them out there, right? But Jesus makes it personal, brings it home to the questioner. His response is, strive to enter. You strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So the question then is, what does it mean to strive? What does it mean to enter by the narrow door? And it could easily sound like works righteousness. Like we somehow have to work, strive to be fit for heaven. Have to work to make ourselves acceptable to God. Many will seek and will not be able to enter. Could make it sound like only the cream of the crop are going to get in. And that would turn this into a question of am I good enough for heaven? And I suppose you start looking then at whether or not you're the top, the cream of the crop, you know? Are you part of the few? 
And that lends itself to comparisons of goodness between people. Am I going to make it and that person is not going to make it? And that makes me think of the old story of two men who were on safari in Africa and by some mishap they'd lost their guns and they'd gotten separated from their group. They were lost. They were trying to find their way back to their camp. And as they went along, they discovered that they were being followed by a hungry lion. And the, the one gentleman said, well, what are we going to do? We certainly can't outrun a lion. And the other one smiled and says, I don't have to. I only have to outrun you. <laughs> Will those who are saved be few? And this, surprisingly, was a common deb debate among the rabbis of the time. Who and how many are going to be saved? And even today, people debate the question. What's the standard for salvation? What about those who live a really good life? What about those who do for others or who, who never hurt anybody? Are they saved? Won't God have mercy on them? What if someone never hears the gospel? Will that person be saved? Do they get a pass? But the more important question that Jesus poses today is, will you be saved? After all, the door is narrow. And he seems to be saying there will take some effort to enter that door. So I suppose we ought to look at what that means. What is the effort that we're talking about? Jesus says, strive. Strive to enter by the narrow door. And the Greek word there for strive is going to be one that is familiar to you, maybe. <laughs> Agonizomai. Now you'd say, well, that's not familiar to me. Agonizomai, but it is if I pronounce it a little bit differently. Agoniz. Agonizomai. Agony. That's where we get our word agony or agonize. It suggests that there's a level of striving, a level of struggling that happens in the Christian life. In the first century, the root of that word, agon, uh, meant to fight. And it was used of the Greco-Roman fighters who would fight each other. Paul uses that word where he says, Fight the good faith, the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's the same word, agon, agonizomai. The writer to the Hebrews encourages us to lay aside everything that would hinder us as we run the race. Lay aside sin, the writer says, sin which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before you. And then he, right after that, says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that word struggle is the same word, agonizomai. In your agonizing against sin, you have not yet shed blood. There is effort involved in following Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus says, the door is narrow. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. And then he, t he says this, kind of a little parable. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. So we notice here that the door is open. It's a narrow door, but it is open. I always picture it as being closed. No, it's an open doorway. But that door is going to be shut. In our day-to-day -day walk, as we run the race, as the book of Hebrews says, there are so many temptations. Temptations to take the easy way out. Temptations to take the shortcut. To get distracted by all the different charms of this world. To give up even to despair of life. And yet Jesus invites us to persevere, to make every agonizing effort to enter through the narrow door. Luke, the writer of our gospel lesson for today, he uses the same Greek word later on in chapter 22, but here it's used of Jesus who is in agony in the garden of Gethsemane as he prays to his father not my will but yours be done just hours of course before his agonizing death on the cross and this is the gospel in our reading today that the door is open that Jesus is the one who agonized who suffered and died to take away our sins to open that narrow door because Christ suffered and died, you and I have been made right with the Father. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we are all forgiven every one of our sins. And so the door stands open because of the blood of Jesus. So why is there any effort needed on our part? Well, Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Struggle. Because Satan doesn't want you to enter through that door. Strive because the world is going to do everything to keep you from going that way, to try to pull you away from your faith. You may not think about it that way, but he does it subtly, by increments, slowly tearing you away from the faith that would bring you through that door, to direct you down a path to a very different door. The door is narrow because it is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, in effect here, enter through me. Not many will. Not many will because it means up giving up because it means giving up on ourselves, giving up on our ideas, on our ideas of grandeur, giving up our pride and control, our power, our self-governance. It means I don't direct my own life. It means I don't get the glory. And that's really hard for us to do. It means for the Christian 
a life of repentance. We enter through Jesus by admitting that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we need forgiveness. You remember that Jesus' ministry began at his baptism by John in the Jordan River. And John's baptism, you remember, was a baptism of repentance. The scriptures say that the people were coming out to him and they were repenting of their sins and being baptized. And when Jesus came to the river, when he approached John, John said to him, I need to be baptized by you until you come to me. But the good news is that Jesus did come to the river to be with sinners who were confessing their sins. The sinless Son of God stands there in the river, stands in for us, stands in our place, beginning with John's baptism and culminating at the cross where he agonized and suffered and died in our place, condemned, punished, forsaken by God. And the cross is an offense to the world. The cross means that there's something really wrong with me in my flesh. It means that I don't live the way that God wants me to live. I don't act the way that he would have me act. The cross means that loving my neighbor, putting others above myself, making the Lord God of first importance in my life is the way that I should live. And I have not lived that way. It means I need a savior. The door is narrow. That's very much against the world because it's very much against our flesh. It is one man, God's son, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. God's plan for salvation of, for the salvation of the world came in this one person, Jesus Christ. He came to his own, as John says, and his own received him not. God came to humanity, and humanity received him not. But to those, John says, who did receive him, he gave the power to become the children of God. So we stand. We stand at the foot of the cross and we look up into the face of the Son of God, beaten and bleeding and hardly recognizable for the agony he has endured for you and me. And we see there the narrow door. We witness there the blood of the Lamb of God shed for you and for me. Blood that cries out for our pardon, cries out for our forgiveness. So strive, battle, agonize to enter through the narrow door. Repentance is that striving, letting go of ourselves and clinging to Christ alone. Repentance can be agonizing. Admitting that we were wrong. Confessing that we messed up again. Admitting that we have forsaken our baptism that we saw an opportunity to sin and we grabbed at it. We embraced it. We loved it. We enjoyed it, knowing that it was wrong. Admitting that we have given in to the desires of our flesh, 
that we laid hold of this world's philosophy. If it feels good, do it. Striving and struggling against our flesh is hard for us. Repentance is the exercise of faith. Faith that believes God's law, which terrifies us. Faith that believes that we deserve death and hell and God's punishment. Faith that believes the promise that Christ has died to redeem us, has taken death and hell for us. Faith that clings to God's promise that in the blood of Jesus Christ we find the full and free forgiveness of our sins. This is repentance. It is hard for us, but thank God he has given us the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to that repentance. Without God's Holy Spirit, it would be impossible for us. Without the Spirit, we would never turn to Jesus. It is the Spirit within us that struggles against sin and the devil. It's the Spirit within us that uses the law to kill the old Adam. It's the Spirit in us that gives life to our new Adam by the powerful word of the gospel. It's the Spirit within us that clings in faith to the cross of Jesus. God is faithful and just, the apostle says, and will forgive the sins of those who repent and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And this is our great hope and our great joy. And God's forgiveness comes to us, not because of our sorrow and our contrition, but because of that faith, faith that believes God's word, both his word of condemnation for our sin, leading us to repentance, but also his word of promise, leading us to rejoice in our precious Savior. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And because of this, we should pray. We should pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that they will remain firm in the true faith to the end. We should pray for those whose faith is not genuine. Pray for those who have no faith, who do not know the dear Savior, that they would come to see the light, that they would come to know Jesus, that they too might enter eternal life through the narrow door that is Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.